This is Legends Territory. Scotty Braun and AJ Pierzynski back with you. And thanks to our MLB Players Alumni Association fam for setting up all the best former player conversations. And check out baseballalumni.com for more info on your favorite former players. If you're watching this, you can also listen to it in podcast form. Just search Legends Territory. And now for our next guest introduction, 15 seasons in the bigs. He's in the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame, inducted in 2016. Cy Young winner, three-time All-Star. Two-time World Series champ. Very, very beloved in St. Louis especially. And you know what, AJ? What? They miss him a little bit right yeah, now. They probably could use him around Denver just Nation. a little bit. Well, let's bring in Chris Carpenter <laughs> on Legends Territory. You get any phone calls from the Cardinals lately? Hey, and I say this jokingly, Chris, but I, as you know and you follow this ball club, they have had successful season after successful season contending every year. So you got to poke fun and have a good time with it when finally there's a blip on the radar. No, I hear you. Um, it's going to happen eventually, right? So when you're when you're good every year, you're going to run into a, a blip. So as AJ knows, man, you get to a point, no matter who calls, um, you got no shot at helping anybody out. So um, I just sit back <laughs> and watch and uh, uh, enjoy watching baseball. And, and I, I still follow them and watch them. And it, it, again, it, it hurts sometimes, but it is what it is. Well, who do you root for? Do you root for the – I mean, I'm a fan. I root for the White Sox. Everyone kind of knows that. Do you root for the yeah. Cardinals? Do you root for the Blue Jays? You're employed by the Angels. Do you root for the Angels? So, yeah, I'm rooting for the Angels right now, man. Um, that's uh, – you know, I, I love watching that team play and, and grow, and we're in a process there um, where I – I've been fortunate enough to be asked to, to help in that player development part um, to kind of revamp that organization. And um, it's been a lot of fun the last three years being over there doing that. Uh, and like I said, there's a bunch, as you, you've seen in the last few months, a bunch of those young kids, they, they aren't afraid to call those guys up. So um, it's fun to, to watch those kids uh, up there get their opportunity and, and uh, we'll see where this, uh, they take us over the next few years. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the way the game is playing out these days and some prospects going so quickly up to the show? I mean, personally, for me, I think for the business of baseball, for fans being engaged with the draft and then seeing a guy like Shanwell on the Angels six weeks later get called up to the show, it's a good thing. It makes me more interested if I'm a casual fan in the draft because I'm like, oh, this guy might help us this season. The Angels are as aggressive as any team. Perry Manation coming over from the Braves where the Braves have been very aggressive, trying out prospects in the bigs to see if they can kick it. What do you think about it? Cause you have this firsthand. You're probably having these conversations with guys like, Hey, be ready. You might get called up this season. For sure. It's every day you have those conversations. You don't know what, you know, I think Perry went into our double a club a, a few months ago and watched a couple guys, watched a couple games and two guys threw really well. One was Joyce and another was Bachman. And two days later, they were both in the big leagues. It seemed like, so you have those conversations, man. Like you never know. Um, so you have to take the approach um, that each start or each at bat or whatever you want to look at it is. You might be the next one, next one called. So I think it's a it's a you know ever changing game. You know, I used to sit and have conversations with the Red Shandies about the game and the way that it's changed and over time from the time that he played. And I loved listening to his stories. And you got to love the game. Um, because it's going to be changing. Um, and I think, you know, AJ, I think when even towards the end of our careers, you could see that they started taking out that that veteran bench player to, to give experience to the younger player. It was cheaper. It was 
more beneficial for the organization to, to get their guys up there. Um, so I think, again, you know, the younger the players, you see them going, they got a lot of energy. Um, they're just trying to, to keep it young, which is, uh, you know, for guys that want to stick around like me and AJ did for a little too long, probably. Um, it, uh, <laughs> it hey, stinks, speak for but... yourself, dude. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I stuck around the perfect amount of time, okay? <laughs> Listen, I'm like you. I don't have scars all over my body. Okay, I don't have arm scars and shoulder scars and back scars, right? I got none of those. The only scar I have is I deal with Scott every day. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Uh, hey, w- one more on the Angels front because you said it's fun to watch and, and root for them. Just your overall thoughts on what you see from Otani and anything that you have that you can contribute being in the organization that really stands out. Of course, he's talked about a ton. Like it's in the in the minor leagues, you know, because you're dealing with a lot of these minor league players. Are they talking about it a ton? Like, hey, son, you really have a bright future. Not going to be Otani, but you're going <laughs> to make it up to the show if you keep this up. Yeah, I think nobody's going to be him, right? He, uh, yeah. he is a, a unicorn. But I'll tell you, in the organization, they, uh, there's a lot of comparison, right? It's like, oh, you got to get that sweeper. You know, this is how Tani throws this or how he throws his forkball. There's a lot of comparison to it. But again, I learned early on, um, I, I pitched after Clemens for my first season. And I would find myself going out there trying to be like Roger Clemens. And, and what I realized was I'm not Roger Clemens. I'm Chris Carpenter. And I got to be myself and do the things that I do well. Um, and it definitely helped. So you get caught up in that comparison, uh, you can get stuck in a bad spot. So we, we try to just uh, teach our guys to be themselves, uh, use what they have and what, what has got them to where they're at and, uh, and just build off of that. Hey, what do you say when you're mentoring guys? Like maybe I'll take you to, I, I know, I believe Brett Cecil has talked about, you know, your conversations with him. So maybe mm-hmm. that's a good example since it's not someone like say currently in the system that you're that you're talking about with the angels, but you know, what kind of conversations and mentoring and difference making um, can you bring to the table? Like any specific conversations or go-tos for you? Yeah. I mean, it, it really depends on what, what that certain player is going through, to be honest. Um, and then I just, uh, I'll go into experiences uh, that I dealt with. And then, and then obviously being around um, as long as AJ and I were, you, you run into all kinds of different players and all kinds of different cultures and all kinds of different situations that, that guys run run into. Um, and, you know, Brett was dealing with the decline of his stuff um, and injury and, and, and then trying to, to revamp and have a lot of pressure on, on what um, he was expected to do. And um, we, we would have comp conversations about again just going back to being who you are um learning about how and what you do well um that's where i start right you you don't know if you're not an expert on yourself um you're not going to be able to go out there and and compete at the highest level so i don't want anybody telling me what or brett or anyone that i'm working with what i do right and what i'm supposed to be doing um i need to know that um personally so you know we we would talk about that, just talk about continued confidence, talk about, you know, it just depends on where you're at and what you're doing in that certain player. How many times did you seriously consider quitting? I'll say in general, but then especially. No, dude, none. With injury? No. I know Carp. There's no way, dude. Well, then, that, then, dude there's no way. way. I guarantee you. No there way. There was I, not one injury where you were like, 
oh, I'm fucked. This one's terrible. I mean, you amazingly came back so often and we're, we're great with it. It's a compliment. I know, but I'm, I'm he's going to say no. Most guys we've interviewed or spoken to, even current guys would be like, yo, after that, I didn't know. I thought about this, no, that. I, but I know him. He's, he ain't that guy. Never carp. No. Um, wow. There was many a times where I was disappointed and, and upset, but, uh, um, I never felt like quitting, man. Like I, I, I still, you know, obviously we joke around when you get old, you can't do it anymore, but I would love to still be out there competing and, and dealing with that everyday grind. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, but again, you just get to a point where you can't do it, but every single surgery, including the, the, the last one, you know, I, those last two years were a struggle. We win the world series in 11. I throw a, a ton of innings. Um, and I start getting ready for spring training and, and 12 and, that's when all that numbness in my, my arm started happening. I was like, dang, this is kind of weird. And, um, it got to a point where, um, we had to, we had to figure it out. And, um, I literally couldn't feel the baseball. So, um, even that, you know, I could have easily walked away. I, again, 36 years old, just, just won a world series and sat there and sucked on the money over the next two years. But that's just not my personality. Um, I owed it to the organization that believed in me. I owed it to myself and I owed it to my teammates to, to continue to grind. And, uh, you know, again, I was able to make it back at the end there and pitch, pitch a few. I think I made three starts at the end of the season and a few in the playoffs. And then the same thing happened in 13 and your body will tell you when you're done. And, uh, that's what it did. I just, I couldn't, uh, couldn't execute the way that I wanted. And, uh, I wasn't going to go out there and embarrass myself or my teammates. <laughs> Dude, listen, we we've been we had some we've had some nights, him and I drinking some adult beverages yeah. on the golf course and we've talked a lot. And I listen, there's certain dudes you talk to and you're like, he'll grind through anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's other guys, Carp will tell you, there's other guys you talk to and they're like, eh, I don't know, he got a hangnail. He might miss a couple weeks. But listen, one thing <laughs> yeah. about Chris Carpenter, we didn't get to play together, but I watched him a lot and got to know him a little bit. This dude was not giving up. He was good. If he could pitch. If his arm was hanging on by a thread and that one thread wasn't going to break, he's like, I'm, I'm chucking that curveball up there as long as I can. And I have mad respect for people like that. I think yeah. it's important, right? I think it's important that uh, you – I got to the point after that first surgery that it, for me it was you never knew when your last one was. Um, so there was urgency there. Um and uh, again, I just had this conversation with a guy the other day. Um, you know, you have to have urgency in what you're doing and it has to be important to you um, because it goes by so fast and you never know, like I said, when your last one, one is. So um, that's the way that I felt. If I, I wasn't going to make an excuse, um, if I went out and took the ball it wasn't be- and I didn't pitch well, it wasn't because I was feeling poorly. Um, it was because I didn't pitch, pitch well enough. Um, so I wasn't going to make an excuse on injury. I was going to make the decision on, I'm just going to go out and do it. And if I, I literally can't do it, then then that's what happens. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I, I dealt with injuries. But I was going to do everything I could to take that ball that day and stay out there as long as I can. Yeah, no, I love that. It's incredible. What's what, When you're looking back right now, at your career, what's the one moment that you either get asked about the most or that stands out to you the most that you cherish? Um, the one that I get asked about the most is game in the, in the game five in Philly. Uh, when I pitch against Doc, um, people always bring that up. 
<clears throat> they talk about the, the diving play in the first base in game one of the World Series against the Rangers. Those are the two ones that, that people bring up the most. Um, <clears throat> I think the one that I cherish most is walking into the Metrodome um, on, I think it was May, May 10th or May 11th when I got called up to the big leagues. Um, and how cool that was. Um, and then, you know, the two World Series championships, you can, um, as AJ can tell you, it again, it's it's like a little, I, I felt like a little kid again, like I was in Little League or high school or whatever that looks like. And so those two, two times uh, were pretty sweet too. Hey, can you give me a more? I know, you know, it's a difficult story even years later on your relationship with Doc Holliday, which went, you know, well beyond the game, including a lot of good time spent together off the field, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I spoke on it a lot and <clears throat> not much over the last few years, but he, uh, you know, we weren't, the funny thing was we weren't teammates a ton. Um, we, we were a little bit in the minor leagues and that's where we started growing our, our friendship and our bond uh, a little bit in the big leagues, but really we were just, we were friends off the field and spent a lot of good times together just doing random normal stuff, uh, fishing and golfing and, and that kind of stuff. And we were very similar. Um, you know, I think we, we used our, our baseball ability to distract from a lot of anxieties and other things that go on in our, our life. And, um, he was just a, a an awesome guy, hard worker, loved, loved watching him compete and, and a great friend. So, you know, he's obviously, um, missed, but, uh, uh, I, I I tend to to try to remember all the good times that uh, that we had, and one of them for for someone else was life saving. Do you know this story? Do you remember the story about? I, I don't. Can can you recall it? Because I think it's been a while since it was brought up. But you know, we were digging through the uh, the the life saving story where you came across a dude that was bit by a snake, right? The anaconda story. You know, this is yes. this is the funniest story in the whole wide world. Like. So we're in we're in the Amazon. I've clear, cleared this story up, and so has Doc. Um, we were in the Amazon fishing. We went there for I was like ten days. Um, <clears throat> and long story short, you'd wake up in the morning, get in your boats. There was eight of us. Uh, it was me. The player wise, it was me, Doc, and, and BJ Ryan, and then there was a bunch of other. Oh, don't friends. say that name. Why? Because I can't get a hit off that guy. So ah, I'm scared still. <laughs> My God, I'm scared. <laughs> uh, so we would go. We went on this trip, and every morning you'd wake up, get in. There was four little bass, aluminum bass trackers. Um, you'd get in your boats, and, and you'd go off into the jungle and, and fish all day. And then you'd pop out in the afternoon or the evening, and you'd come back to the houseboat and and have dinner. And, and um, I was off. Doc was not with me that day. And I was off with another guy and we come back and everybody, you know, all would come back around the same time. We're sitting up at the top deck of the houseboat drinking and hanging out. And all of a sudden there was two boats that were super late and it got dark and they weren't coming. Anyways, they get back and their Doc was the one, Doc and his boat were the one that, that ran across this. Um, it was like a local Aborigine guy that um, was attacked by an anaconda in the water. Um, they actually had pictures of him sitting in a uh, tree with nothing on because the anaconda had pulled like all his clothes off or something. I don't know. But anyways, so Doc goes, <clears throat> their group, it was more than Doc. There was eight of them or four of them. 
and uh, they went and you know got him out of the water, got him up to shore, um, where that's where he ran into the tree and all this other stuff, and um, got him safe. And the guide was the one that was able to communicate with him to what to know what was going on. Um, but anyways, I mean, this thing blew up. That like. It, it turned into like Doc and I rescued, dove into the Amazon, saved this guy from <laughs> death. Um, and, and literally like a week later, you know, it pops up. And I mean, Doc got calls from like the Animal Planet and CNN and all kinds of stuff being like, what happened? Tell us what happened. So the story blew, got blown out of proportion. Really, they helped him out of the water into a boat onto the edge of the um, river and he took off. Um, it wasn't like they ripped him from a, the deathly grasp of an anaconda, but, uh, and I wasn't even a part of it, but uh, for some, somehow, uh, I became legendary in it. Gonna, so I don't know. We're going to change the story to where Doc dove in with only a knife in his mouth and the guy was already in his belly and he just <laughs> cut the anaconda. Yes. It's like the movie. Yeah. Remember the movie? For sure. Jennifer Lopez was in it and they were in the... Same thing, and Anaconda's like attacking them. Ice Isn't the movie called Anaconda? Yeah, I think yeah. Ice Cube's yeah. in it, right? Or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was Doc. Doc was like jumping in with just a knife in his mouth and whew, slitting this thing open. You know? We can we can yeah. do that now. We can change stories now. It's okay. For sure. Oh, well, man. well, my follow-up would be when you were there at the time, like next day, you go out fishing again. Are you kind of looking over your shoulder like making sure that there's no anacondas that are going to jump out of the water and, you know, Oh, yeah. lunch. I was always looking over my shoulder because you didn't know what was was out there. Um, it was a blast. Um, um, you know, there was all kinds of crazy stuff that um, we did. We went caiman hunting. We went. Uh, we ate turtles. Um, I didn't realize that there was such thing as pink river dolphins that look just like regular dolphins, but they're pink. <clears throat> They'd come up and attack your the fish that you were reeling in, trying to eat them. So they'd be following your boat around, um, catching piranhas, um, all kinds of stuff. So um, you're definitely uh, definitely looking over your shoulder um, to what's going on. I was wondering what what species when you when you when you booked that trip, Cart. You're like, okay, yeah. we're going to the Amazon, guys. We're not going to like you know a lake in the middle of Texas. We're going to the Amazon rainforest jungle. That's some serious jungle. What are you targeting? Like, what fish do you target? You don't go down there and say, we're going to fish for piranhas today, guys. <laughs> Most of the time, what you go down there for is peacock bass. Um, you can fish for them, like, in, in southern or southern Florida, too, but they're small. You get, like, little ones. Down there, they get up to, like, 20, 22, 25 pounds. Um, so that's what you're mainly fishing for. And then you can, you can go mess around with, like, those red-tailed catfish and piranhas and all kinds of different random species but the main one that you go down there to go fishing for is peacock bass which we caught plenty of and it was a lot of fun Jeez. okay so i'll take you to um another former teammate to swing back to the clemens conversation the, so the, the best yeah. part i'll finish the best part about the, the trip though was it was after the world series and we had just that was after we had won in 11 and i beat doc in in game five and we were wearing them out because the, the best part about it was I got the base hit off him up the middle. It didn't matter that I beat him pitching, but I almost took his ankles off on my line drive base hit up the middle. So we were wearing <laughs> him out on that too. Uh, that's fine. He hated right, that right the after, most. 
Yeah, you guys get to hang out. So was he kind of looking like, I don't know if I want to go on this trip because Carb's just going to give me shit the whole time? (laughs) No, we had a good time. And it wasn't even me. I mean, besides the base hit part, it was the other guys, including BJ, that was Ah! all over him. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know this. Now I got a little... Over 10, nine punches, I think. I got a verbal verbal weapon in my arsenal. Is that a problem? BJ Ryan. Yeah. (laughs) I I was at an all-star game with him one year and I I told the story. I walk into the food room, and he's standing. He's a great dude. He's awesome. And he walks in. He looks at me, and I'm like, ah, don't look at me. I was like, why? And he's, you know, he's like, why? I'm like, I'm going to turn to stone, dude. He goes, what do you mean? I go, you're my kryptonite. I can't I can't even put a ball in play. At the time, I was like 0 for 8 with 8. And I think my last about, I hit a ground ball back to him. And he knew, because we had talked about it. I'm running to first. I'm like, fuck yeah. I hit the ball. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Did you have a guy like that? Or do you recall anyone where you're like, I own this dude? Um, I own this dude. No, but I, there was some guys that I struggled against and one of them was Lee Stevens. Look those numbers up and look up Carlos Zambrano's numbers off me. Carlos uh, Zambrano. (laughs) That was one guy that we sit down and have to, man, we'd have to game plan for and I couldn't figure it out, but you and Yachty Yachty would sit down when you played the Cubs and you're facing big Z and you're like, put them on. That way you only get to yeah. the first. <laughs> exactly, man. Like it was like we had the game plan. I had to study him. It's, I couldn't. I don't know why, but man, he uh, he put some at bats on me. He was one of the tougher ones in the lineup. Hey, um, this year the Cardinals clearly miss Yachty. That we were going to say that even if they were a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you can help to describe that differentiate differentiates him besides what we noticed on the field? You know the way that obviously he would call a game, but that you saw from him that differed from anyone else that you played with? Yeah, I think um, the easiest thing is the preparation um, and the confidence that, that you had. He learned it from Matheny, you know, coming up under Mike and, and those guys. Like, Mike was the same way. Just the preparation, and I think what what's missed is not that he can call a game real well, it's the preparation of understanding your pitcher, especially in today's game with the pitch clock and how fast that goes by, right? You only have so many times that you can shake and all that other stuff, and it just turns into a hassle. Um, you were always, not always, um, that's strong, but I would say 90% of the time on the same page, and he knew exactly where you wanted to go next if, if you didn't agree with the pitch that he put down. He also knew... Um, when to give you a break, when to give you a breather, when not to, like how to push you, all those things. And I think that that was the the X factor for him and what they're missing. Um, and again, it, that just comes with time too, right? You 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 learn how to develop that over over time and experience. And he just knew his pitchers so well. Um, and I guess that's that's the best way to put it. He also, I would say, would have loved the pitch clock because that's an no. Because you can't you can't slow the game down, and that's what as we say. Yeah, but Yachty he can so call. At, he can call a game. No one shook really him off, well. anyways. I mean, I think Cart might be the last guy to ever shake him off. <laughs> so it wasn't like Cart's the only guy with, with enough, uh, let's say, uh, courage to shake Yachty off in the Cardinal organization. That was what almost ten years ago now. But I mean, Yachty was the master of controlling, like you said, the tempo of a game, knowing when to make that slow walk out there. To the, mm-hmm. to the mound, right? The pitcher's huffing and puffing and or speeding the game up and saying, all right, now is when we kick it in high gear and go. 
And I, and I think the pitch clock now has taken away the subtleties of catching, whether it's slowing the game down, speeding it up, whatever it is, because everything is in a hurry. So there is no manipulation of batter's thoughts, pitcher's thoughts, and, and I think that's one of the big things with Yad. Hmm. I totally agree. It's a great point. And it's it's like he had the ability, like he knew me, like I like to work. Like I, it was like constant. Uh, give me the ball and go. Give me the ball and go. Give me the ball and go. Until we got into that, and sometimes until I got into that situation where I was in a jam or and he needed to stop me because I wouldn't stop. And he was able to, hey, time out. You know, either come talk to me or or he would do the the step into the front of home plate and turn around for a minute and clear out his area where he's squatting down or whatever it is, kicking some dirt and and even just give you the the ten or fifteen seconds even uh, to to breathe. And and I think AJ, you're right. It's there. There's a an ability to to manipulate the game as a catcher to really help your pitcher and guide him through a game. And there, that doesn't mean slow it down. There's going to be times where you speed it up, but um, we're missing that. Carp, have you spoken to Wayno this year? I'm, I'm sure you have. I, yeah, I just saw him yesterday. Or what's today? Uh, I just saw him this weekend. It was Hall of Fame weekend. I was up and up there, and um, I saw him on, on Sunday morning and gave him a big old hug. And But I, I, I communicated with him quite often through text. Are, are, and stuff. I mean, are you rooting as hard as I am for him to get his 200th win? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think that he deserves, you know, I had a friend of mine that texted me the other day and, and was like, man, what's all this talk about not letting him compete the rest of the year? You know, um, this guy's put so much effort into that organization. The Cardinals aren't going to make the playoffs. Like, allow him to go out and, and I don't care if he goes a third of an inning for the next four starts. Um, it's September. Get some backup arms. Let him go pitch and uh, and see what happens. He's he's given too much of this organization to to even question in the in the the media whether or not he should take the mound every start. Um, I wish that would come out. I wish it would be said and that that hey he's pitching the rest of the year. He's making a start every fifth day. Doesn't matter how we, how he performs and, and see what happens. Why, why would people even be so concerned right now? I mean. Newsflash for Cardinals fans. They're not making it to the playoffs <laughs> this year. For me, actually, one of the reasons to still go to the ballpark, if I'm a Cardinals fan right now, right? If you're going to enjoy a baseball game, like whatever, cool. But if you're like, hey, I want to watch a playoff team, not doing that this year. Okay, I want to watch young ball players. Like, what does Mason Wynn look like for the future? Okay, I want to see the end of Wayno's career, you know, no matter for what. Sure. And also maybe catch a vintage performance from him, even though he's been going through it and also dealt with injuries, obviously. Like, I think he's, you know, he's pretty uh, straightforward about how his body's feeling too, going down the stretch here and trying to give it his all to finish strong. Yeah, for sure. And that's, again, that's why I say it. I mean, it seems like every time he goes out there, it's like, oh, we'll sit down and have a, a difficult conversation to see what's next for him. And it's like, what's next for him? He's going to get the ball five days from now and go compete and see what happens. Um, and again, I wish that, that was just known um, instead of those other conversations. And you're right. There's, there is, I was in there this weekend. There's some excitement around those young kids and um, excitement around him too. So like go enjoy the last month of a, a, an era that, that you know, I mean, what, I think he hit 18, 18 years, like a complete 18 years, like just a week ago or something like that of service time. I mean, this guy's been there for 18 years, man. I remember him walking into that clubhouse as a skinny little kid that was still in AAA when we got him from the Braves. 
Um, and he's brought so much, like I said, not just on the field to that organization, but in that community and everywhere else. So give him what he deserves, no matter how he's performing. Legends Territory fam, we appreciate you for not only watching this show, but putting up with all of our antics, including us wearing our premium polarized shades inside because we love them so much. And a shout out to our friends at Shady Rays for hooking us up with the sweet stuff here that we've got on our eyes, protecting us when we're outside, especially for AJ and me, because yeah, it's still hot out, but it's actually hot out year round for us because we're in Florida. So gear up for whatever season you've got ahead of you with sunshine, with quality shades built to last. You do not need to break the bank to look like this. So cheers to Shady Rays for the durable frames, the extremely clear optics for whatever outdoor adventure you've got going on, and the most insane protection program in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning even if it's day one and you break a pair or you can't find what you've got, they told us they will send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. So you can wear those Shady Rays with confidence. And if you'd like a little discount hookup, then go to ShadyRays.com. And for their best deal of the season, you enter the code. I know this is difficult. Foul. F-O-U-L. You can do it for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. AJ loves them so much that he's speechless. At the Hall of Fame weekend this year, um, who went in? Who went into the Cardinals? It was, it was supposed just, to be Freezer. That's what but I wanted Freezer, to ask you about. How, what did Freezer you think about that? Down. What did you think about that? I mean, I, I get it. I, I do. Yeah. He's a local guy. But, man, that is such an honor, especially for a guy from St. Louis. For him to say no, I, <laughs> I don't know whether to give him credit or be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat, to be honest. Like, again, you have – I love David Freeze. Um, and and you, have, you have to be um, okay with the fact that, you know, his – from what I've heard, I haven't talked to him from what I've heard, is he didn't believe that his his complete career, whatever you want to call it, the, the quantity of what he did there deserved to be in there with the guys that are in there. Now, um, he had an amazing 2011 – um postseason you had a, a really nice run there i think he was there for what four or five years i can't remember how many years he was there but um <clears throat> he just believed that and now he's he's like i'm not going to deny that i had a great 11 postseason and that's what everybody remembers me by is his game six but he also wanted to honor the guys that were there that that were in there that you know were part of massive history of the cardinals that being said um, you only win a World Series championship every once in a while, right? Like it doesn't happen all the time. And David Freeze was a huge part of St. Louis Cardinal history, winning the 2011 World Series. Um, so um, selfishly, I would have loved him to say yes. I would have loved to be able to see him every year at Hall of Fame weekend and opening day and wearing red coats from now until we die because he is uh, – uh, a guy that's special to me and, and well-deserved to be recognized in St. Louis Cardinal history for, for what he brought to that organization. So the answer is I'm, I'm with you. There's both, but um, it is what it is. He chose that. Well, two things on that one, didn't the fan, the fans voted him in, right? It wasn't like a, yeah. so the fans wanted him in. So that was kind of why I 
tend to lean towards like, hey, you should just go in. The fans wanted you. I get it. I, I mean, I, I see both sides of you, and I agree. Yeah, it, because of 2011 and especially game six, yeah. people would have forgot about Chris Carpenter if he doesn't hit that home run, you know, in extra innings. There would have. There's no game seven. There's no Chris Carpenter pitching on short rest when there was a, you know, I'm going to do my air quotes, rain out in 2011 <laughs> when it didn't rain. So, I mean, you know, you, you kind of owe David Freeze a little bit here. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, it, again, like it, like this guy, what did he, he won the, the MVP of the, the series before that against Milwaukee. I mean, he had a postseason, legendary postseason. Um, and, and, yeah, we wouldn't have been in a situation to win if it wasn't for the things that he, he accomplished. But um, so I, I, again, the fans, that's why I go I, selfishly. Um, I wish he was, he, he would have accepted and, and been there because he deserves it. And it would have been nice to, to give him a big old hug and congratulate him. Plus he's a legend. Cause he did the emo's pizza commercials. Remember the, oh, my pizza word. he was like, what thing was on like every 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> That's the worst local thing. I don't Dude, know. No, when I played in yeah. St. Louis for half a year, you turn on the TV and every 30 seconds was David Freeze for Emo's Pizza. Well, he should be in the I don't even know what Emo's, Emo's Pizza Hall is. Fan, yeah, though. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Do you think that, and I've interviewed him on actually the show um, well before all of this, do you think any of it has to do with him just like, he kind of hinted at this, like just not loving everything about that chapter of his life. He's talked about that and just not wanting to kind of rehash it on a personal level. Cause, cause my thing is like, you know, you don't get to, or it's, it's not up to you, right? Like there's plenty of guys that want to be in a hall of fame for a team or in a hall of fame in general. And it's not up to you if you want to be in someone else votes for you. For, so on the other end of that, it's like, Hey, these people want you there. Just like go for it. And and smile and then you don't have to do much afterward but it sounded like you know he had deeper meaning to it where he's like I, that's the past it's a time period of, of what it was and i don't want to go back there yeah and i think you know again i think that that's part part two like yeah i lived in that that world with him for those years that he was there and again i love david and and um he was uh, it was a chapter that i know was difficult for him so that's why I go back and you just got to honor the fact that, that, that that's the choice that he made um, and, and that's what he truly believes in. And I know that they kept trying to fight for it, um, but he, uh, he, he got to the point where he's like, please don't ask me anymore. Um, I'm not there in this decision that I have made and, and you have to respect that for him. Totally. Carp, do you know the story? I don't even know. We've, we've ever talked about this. The, the story about 2011, and I, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but uh, when game six, after you guys win game six, I was there for Fox. And then game seven was supposed to be the next night, and you were not going to pitch. And then about three o'clock, we're actually there like, oh, we're not going to play tonight because it's going to rain. Okay, it never rained a drop. Like, it didn't rain and drop in St. Louis. I don't know what happened. But I was told by multiple sources <laughs> that the reason the game got rained out was because Bud Seeley did not want to jump on a plane from Milwaukee in case it got rained out and have to spend a night there and have to fly back and forth. So they canceled the game at like three o'clock in the afternoon. So he didn't have to do it. Therefore, Chris Gardner got to pitch the start game seven Cardinals won game seven and the rest is history. So, but still might deserve a thank you. No, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. Um, I, I, I promise you. I was told by crazy. numerous people that would know the answer. He dictated the whole situation. He said he did not want to get on a plane 
in case there was because you know this was like after that remember the 08 debacle with the Rays and the Phillies oh, where yeah. there was like that long delay and they didn't know what to do so there was a chance of rain but it never I mean I was in it, it didn't rain a drop I was in downtown it didn't rain a drop and they were like I went like man how does this happen and they're like Bud Sealy didn't want to get on a plane because he knew he had to come down well I'll think and, Bud thanks Bud yeah yeah, exactly. Seriously. Now, yeah, it's I'm not sure what he did, but it worked out great. Because that was one of the best – game six is the best postseason game as a spectator I've ever seen. From from the, the drama in the late innings, David Freeze hitting the home run, uh, you know, the, the Joe Buck's call on the anniversary of Kirby Puck and his dad. I mean, it was like it – was, it was just it was a, a storybook. It was a movie ending, yep. and then Carp to go out and pitch game seven. I mean, you know, MLB sometimes knows what it's doing. Indirectly, yep. sure. <laughs> I mean, not yeah, if you're a game to be a part of. Not if you're a Rangers fan, but I mean, no. if you're a Cardinals fan. No. no, it's still being talked about just as much there. But that is that is crazy. True story. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, good. I mean, see, you learned something on this show. <laughs> 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 All right. So one more former teammate question for me to take you back towards the beginning of our combo. You mentioned, hey, I didn't. I learned I'm I'm not Clemens. I got to be myself. Now, take me further back. You were a huge Clemens fan growing up. Like, was he your favorite player? And then you meet him pretty early on in your career. Were you like, oh, this is pretty cool? Yeah, it was awesome. I remember. So, yes, I grew up going to Fenway. Um, Clemens was my guy. Um, and then having the opportunity, I me- I'll, I'll never forget. He, he comes over, signs with us in Toronto. And I come, like I remember walking into Engelberg Complex for spring training, knowing that I'm going to go in and, and be a teammate of Roger Clemens. Um, I got it out there in the open real quick that I loved him growing up, all that stuff. And, and then it just became professional and, and, and what a, um, awesome teammate. Um, I, I loved, uh, watching him work and watching him compete. And, um, he was very open with me and conversating about pitching and, pitch selection and sequencing and hard work and all. I mean, uh, he was him, Pat Hankin and Woody Williams um, were three guys that I played under that that uh, I owe a ton of of respect and um, just thanks for for developing me into to what it looks like to, to go and be a, a major league baseball player and a professional. Hey, did uh, Clemens teach you everything about pitching? Like, because we had him on a few weeks ago, and we asked him if it was true that he like would put icy hot in his jockstrap to get him excited. So, <laughs> was, was he teaching you about all these little nuances that you know he says aren't true but have or become urban legends? Oh, I watched it. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was his pitch. His pitch day was an absolute circus. Um, the day, the night before too, he was doing the chart. That was the only night he would sign. He'd sit in the conference room doing the chart, and he—I mean, whoever wanted his stuff signed, um, like I mean, he'd have dozens and dozens. I mean, baseballs, jerseys, stuff everywhere. While in between innings, signing autographs, and then the the pitch day, man. You know those things that you hang, like all your like a, a you know, the guys would hang the uniforms on to push around. They're like the metal portable like um, clothes hangers. He'd have his own with all his junk hung on it. And he'd push it into the training room. And he'd start in there, and I mean, yeah, icy hut on his on his jock strap, get fully fully clothed, run him um, ramps up and down in the the I mean for half an hour in the in the Sky Dome, coming in just full on sweat like he had just 
competed and, and before he even went out. Um, it was a it was a circus. <laughs> that seems like I'd be tired before I took I know, them out. I'm exhausted. I'd be like, oh, oh now I got to go pitch. Yeah, it was yeah, crazy, but he was uh, awesome. Well, I got to ask this because you're talking about the, the Rogers Center Sky Dome. Was the mound like two foot taller than every other mound there? Because I, in the like big leagues, because I swear I would when you play there, it looked like the mound was like you know the normal mound was what ten inches or whatever it's supposed to be, dude. This mound. Like, we'd face Doc or we'd face Carp in there, and you're like, I'm looking at him, like, at the roof. They're throwing it out of the roof. And then you go out there as a catcher, and you walk up the mountain, and you're tired because you walked up damn Mount Everest to get up to the rubber to talk to the pitcher. And, oh, we had it measured. It measured perfectly. I'm like, dude, that thing is three foot tall. Yeah, it definitely felt like it. It was a great place to pitch early on in my career. Like, you felt like you were throwing downhill. Um, I don't know. They say that it was always measured appropriately because there was – there was whispers about that even early in my career. People would come in and be like, we need that mound checked. We need that mound checked. But I don't know. <laughs> it was crazy. I'm telling you, it was crazy. I don't know whose yeah. job that was, but I think it eventually got more regulated. I don't know. Back then, I mean, you know. They no, not. No, I know. Back, back then, then, they could. I remember hearing, you know, they could manipulate the tools because they had like a hand tool that they would measure. I don't know how they did it, but I remember hearing stories that, there was they manipulated the tool to where it didn't line up exactly right, and so they and you know they had all these tall pitchers, yeah, and they were all throwing downhill. And you're you going to Toronto and you get these guys, you're like, Man, I got no chance for three days here. If I get one hit, I'm getting out of here ahead of the game. So yeah, I, whatever it takes. So, yep, <laughs> it worked out. I, lo- I, I love it. I love it. Like pitchers are like, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I use it fully to my uh huh. Yeah. I, it's like, yep, I enjoyed it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not going to complain. Just yeah. like Bud Selig, man. Thanks, Bud. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Bud. You know, you're in your private jet. Got a little night off. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Carp, awesome talking to you. Um, great catching up, reminiscing, and all of that. And we appreciate the time, man. And also, just a quick thanks to the MLB Players Alumni Association for setting this up. And for more info on your favorite former players, you can go to uh, Baseball Alumni. Dot com and also you can listen to this if you're watching right now if you look up legends territory wherever you get your pods but carp thank you um for the time here and also good luck in the mentoring gig and everything you're doing on the coaching side with the angels in their organization right now appreciate it man it was fun i'm glad i got had the opportunity to come on here love talking baseball man so good stuff. <laughs> thanks carp thank you all right thanks <laughs>